our core aim at Omla Africa is we want support, the first set of support to come from within the continent. The problems we are faced with, they are local. We know our problem, we understand. So we want to do something that is so unique. We want to reach out to Africans. Let's come together and generate solutions and resources to solve our problem. Okay? We don't want to depend on AIDS. We don't want to continue to depend on AIDS to solve our problems. We can put in our best, put in our resources to solve this problem. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Taking into account what my guest today, Lawrence Afede, shared, according to UN projections, the population of Africa is going to increase to around 2.5 billion in 2050. All key sustainability challenges, social as well as environmental, will be on full display in Africa in the decades to come. And the most vulnerable people are likely to suffer the brunt of negative future impacts. Food, water, conflicts, climate change impacts, migrant flows, etc. At the same time, Africa has the youngest population of any continent on Earth, with an amazing amount of entrepreneurial energy and hope for the future. If you had the chance to listen to our podcast in the past month, you listened to a lot of stories of people who are the living example. Nigeria has become an attractive country for entrepreneurship in Africa. Now, with one million African leaders, or OMLA, Lawrence Afere and his team hope to make a lasting impact on the continental entrepreneurial landscape. Welcome, Lawrence, to our podcast. Thank you, Yampia. Good. Happy to be here. You are a really busy man. It was really difficult to have a chance to meet. Why is that? You are doing a lot. Uh, I'm actually, I, I can't say I'm doing a lot. I'm just being uh, passionate about what I'm doing, and that really gets me busy. You know, every day of my life, I look at the future of Nigeria, the future of Africa, and I'm really worried and bothered. And then I think... I have the opportunity to be part of young people who can actually take this continent to greater height and build a new Africa. So that's why I get myself busy and involved with activities that will get this continent to a sustainable path. Why did you create the OMLA program? Uh, well, OMLA, um, the meaning of OMLA is one million leaders Africa. I'm well, fortunate to be part of those who initiated it, even though... I'm one of the uh, founding members, but I'm the one who is really pushing uh, Romla. The reason is because if you look at Africa, where we are today, the challenges are clear, they are obvious. So if you look at this uh, dynamics, you understand that there's a big problem that is coming. There's an imminent problem. You look at uh, unemployment, the rate of unemployment now, millions and millions of young Africans are unemployed. And so you now look into the future and you look at the key sustainability challenges. And so you look where would the food come from, the food to feed the 2.5 billion people by 2050. Who is going to create this food? Who is going to produce this food? What about housing? Where would these people live? Okay. What about water? Where would they get water from? So you look at climate change impact. You look at migrant flow. So these are the things that I feel all of us should be concerned about. So because there is no other continent that will absorb 2.5 billion people by 2050, if anything goes wrong with this continent. Is it America that's going to take us? Is it Asia that's going to take us? They have their own challenges as well, but our challenges here are so enormous. And so we have to do something about this. So that's why we created Omla. 
And at the same time, you look at the youngest population of uh, any continent on Earth is youth. So you look at Africa, more than 50% of us, they are young people who, are, who have this entrepreneurial energy. So that's why we created Homelab, a program that intends to enhance the positive energy of its youth and help train a whole new generation of leaders across this continent who will help to put the continent uh, on more sustainable course. So we are looking at raising young people who will help take all these uh, fundamental challenges that we have looked at and, and then begin to tackle them, begin to create sustainable solutions, innovative solutions uh, to all these problems. So that's what Homla is looking at. So by 2030, we want to see if we are able to bring one million young leaders together and then inspire them, empower them, and connect them to create a lasting solution. So we are not saying that by 2030, Africa is going to be without problems or all these <laughs> challenges will go. No, <laughs> it's not possible. So what we are saying is by 2030, let us at least for the first time know the direction that Africa is going. You understand? So by 2030, we know that we can't depend on aid. We can't continue to depend on World Bank, IMF. We can depend on ourselves. The problems are here. They are local. So we understand what the problems are. We should also understand the solution that will help us solve this problem. So by 2030, we would have a platform where we know that by uh, we are now moving on a sustainable path. So that's what uh, we are looking at. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And who is the ideal OMLA participant? So we are looking at young Africans who have the desire and the motivation and they have this burning, burning desire in them. Like they are so, they are like they are not comfortable where Africa is now. And so these are the young people we are looking at coming on board as members and as partners and as trainees. These are young people who want to take the destiny of Africa in their hands. So we are looking at young people uh, who have the motivation, who have the burning desire, and um, who need the skill and the tool to want to make a new Africa happen. Yeah. Sounds, sounds beautiful. In the Kantari Corona blog, I've read about um, what you shared regarding Omla, that what will make a significant difference in the Omla model is the alumni network. How is that? So um, with the alumni, what we are looking at, by the time we have trained one million young leaders, these are passionate youth, so we are going to put them in the... Into, we are not just going to train them and then, okay, you guys can go back to your country and begin to make change. You know, alumni is very powerful. Okay, so we still want them to be connected. Okay, we need a force. Okay, we, we, with the change we are going to make on the continent, it's not going to be done one, by one person. So we need a critical mass of like-minded young people. So that's why we are creating the alumni. So by the time you have gone through the Homla training program, uh, you, we now, you now join the alumni program. With the alumni, you can access more opportunities. And then you can get more inspiration from your colleagues so that you can be more empowered to do what you're supposed to do on the continent. So the alumni uh, offers more opportunities outside the, the Homla training. So when you become an alumni of Homla, you can access bigger opportunities. You can, you, can, you can get scholarships to do further research. You can get grants. You can also, but the biggest uh, resource of the alumni is the uh, members of the alumni, not just the other resources that come. Okay, okay, I understand. According to the name of this program, you are planning to raise 1 million African leaders in 10 years. Yeah. So we yeah. already talked about that. You just described it before. Could you go a bit more into detail? How exactly are you going to do that? Thank you very much. It's a very good question. So with the OMLA model, we, are, we, we have some terminologies that we are going to use. 
The first one is the fellow. The second one is the star. And then the third one is the starlet. The fellows are going to become the trainers, the homeland trainers. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we train, for example, by this year, we will recruit 60 fellows across Africa. And then we'll take the, they will go through a two-week boot camp where we're going to train them using the homeland curriculum, which is a local designed curriculum. So they're going to go through that curriculum. So 60 of them, by the time they graduate from the boot camp, they now go to their respective countries and begin to train other people, other young people. You can find these young people in uh, tertiary institutions, in uh, religious centers, within the communities. So these people that the fellows will train, they are called the stars. Okay, mm. so the stars, after going through the training with the fellows, the fellow, the stars will now go back to their respective communities. These are the grassroots people. Okay, they will now go back to their respective communities and train other young people in secondary schools, primary schools, and then in homes. And these people that the stars will train are called the starlets. Okay, so this, so the starlets, that's a kind of a chain reaction from the fellows to the stars from the stars to the starlet. So with our analysis, in the first year, we're going to have around 400,000 people trained. Even before 10 years, we're going to reach our, our target of 1 million young people. So we'll now spend the remaining years developing a vibrant uh, alumni. Okay, so, I mean, you are talking all the time about young African people from Africa. So you are concentrating yourself just in Africa. Do you, you don't have any help from the outside, from other countries or other continents? Omla is part of a global movement called a One Million Leader Initiative. So we also have the Homelatam, a One Million Leader Initiative in Latin America. We have the we have one for Asia. Okay, so it's a it's a global thing. But for Africa, we are the one in charge. It actually it was Omla was actually initiated by an organization called Nellis, which I'm part of the core team in Japan. So we decided that let's take each continent and help to solve their critical problems. So for Africa, we are looking at 1 million young people who help to solve our problems by 2030. So we have for other continents. And then we have partners, of course, from outside Africa. But our core aim at OMLA Africa is we want support, the first set of support to come from within the continent. Yeah. Okay. The problems we are faced with, they are local. We know our problem, we understand. So we want to do something that is so unique. We want to reach out to Africans. Let's come together and generate solutions and resources to solve our problem. Okay? We don't want to depend on AIDS. We don't want to continue to depend on AIDS to solve our problems. We can put in our best, put in our resources to solve this problem. So that's what we are looking at. So in the next two months, we are, we're currently planning to do a major virtual African diaspora conference. And it's the first time that this will happen, bringing organizations and communities in six continents together in one room, virtual room, okay? We're looking at about 1,000 African diasporas to discuss OMLA and to seek support, okay, from this association and African diaspora so that they can support and partner with OMLA to carry out, to successfully implement its uh, activities and plans. Yeah, and I wish you really all the best. Thank you. Such a big program surely has a lot of challenges to faith. Yeah. What are the yeah. biggest challenges you have encountered or fear to encounter? And most importantly, how are you going to overcome them? Of course, the first challenge will be young Africans seeing OMLA as an opportunity to 
enrich themselves, not to empower themselves. Okay, so by the time we roll out the application for the first fellows, the challenge will be applicants who have uh, opportunity uh, for internet, who have opportunity to hear about Omla, may not be the right set of people we are looking for. But those who are really passionate about Africa's development, they may, they may be at the grassroots level and do not have access to internet. They do not have access to uh, social media. And so they are, they are left out of hearing or getting the information about our application. So that's one challenge that we are looking at because we need the right applicants. And that's very important. So that's going to be a challenge. So we are looking at ways that we can help deal with that because once we get it right at that level, I think the change we are looking for uh, will be very easy to achieve. And then another challenge is, would Africans be ready to contribute to a Pan-African project well, apart from donations coming from outside the continent? You understand? So yeah. we came up with an idea to have boosters, Omla boosters. These are the first set of supporters within the continent. So we're looking for 100,000 boosters. These are people who donate between $1 and $10, okay, for Omla, because we want it to be an African thing. This is our own thing. We donated to it. The, the resources and the funding did not come from outside Africa. That was our idea. And so from, I think in the last two months, we've only been able to raise uh, about $1,500 from our Omla, from Omla boosters. So, and we are looking at raising $400,000. Okay, so... The challenge is, would Africans want to create a better Africa by donating to a project that means business? Okay, so it, it means we have to push, we have to sensitize, we have to create further awareness. And that's why we are reaching out to the African diaspora, to the African diaspora uh, conference that we are proposing. So that's uh, challenge number two. Then by the time we have um, uh, the, the monitoring and evaluation is going to be huge. You have one million young people as members, okay? So how do you monitor the activities? Okay, that's why we have to do constant review and then very important. So that's monitoring and evaluating our effectiveness, our impact is very, very important. So those are some of the challenges that uh, uh, we, are, we are faced with. Yeah. Talking about challenge number one, what leadership skills do you think people should have to enter and succeed in the Omla program? The one thing, number one thing is passion. Do you have, are you, uh, just like Kantari would say, do you have a pinching point, <laughs> okay, to want to make a change happen? That's very important. Initially, we were looking at, okay, you are a graduate and then you are, you do, you are jobless. And, but we realized that even graduates may not be the ones to make change happen, okay? It may be young people who have never even had access to, to education. And that's true. Yeah. Okay. So what we are looking at is, the one thing we are looking at is passion. You have that burning fire in you. And what have you been doing in your own local community? In your own, maybe you have, how, how have you been able to impact one life? What project? It doesn't have to be a big project. Maybe you've organized young people in your community to sweep. Uh, maybe the road is dirty. Okay, and then you have organized some young people to sweep the road, or maybe uh, uh, your local mosque or your local church, you have um, been able to create some awareness on their thinking uh, pattern. So what little thing have you done that qualifies you to be a leader? So we are looking for people who have this burning desire in them, and they are taking some steps, some initial steps, but they want to do it bigger, and they want tools to want to do bigger things. So for example, like me, 
before I gained admission to Kantari, I, I started the youth farm project. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had this, this small track record. And so when Kantari found out about me, they knew that, wow, this guy has done something to, done little, okay, to, to actually address the situation he was hoping to address. So by the time I got to Kantari and I got the tools that I needed, I was able to scale my work to this level that it is today. Lawrence, that sounds like a really nice path. Just to be passionate, it's really important. I have another question. Why are you so sure that Omla is the future of Africa? Uh, that's a very good question. Well, I think Omla is the future of Africa because the future of Africa lies in the hands of its youth. Okay, the average African politician is between 60 and 70 years. Okay, and then uh, I don't know what they have to offer. I know they can they can guide us, but uh, the role that they should be playing at this level is to guide young Africans, not to take those leadership positions, but to to put young people in those leadership positions and sit back and guide us. So, but we don't have that. Nobody's guiding us. So it's high time African youth began to guide, guide themselves to the skills that are available and opportunities that are available. So I'm sure that Omla is the future of Africa because we, the youth are the ones that will transform this continent. We have the energy, we have the passion, the skills. We can easily get the skills. The internet is at, is at our disposal. And so with this, the young people, I believe, will take this great continent to a great height. In August 2019, you had your first spiritual summit with over 200 young leaders from Africa. Yeah. How was it? Yeah. What did you achieve after this summit? Wow, it was, it, it was a big success. And then that was the first um, summit uh, Omla did. And in fact, it, it, it was a two or three days event and which communicated, uh, culminated into the launch of Omla. We had over 200 participants from across, I think about from, from over 30 African countries and uh, we had other uh, Western countries on board as well. I think about four countries from Europe. And so the whole idea was to sell the idea of Omla to young Africans. Okay. Mm. And we had over 600 participants who registered for the, for the event and over 200 attended. I think um, more people would have attended if not because of Uh, internet connectivity problem. So it was a big success. At the end of the event, we came up with an agenda for Africa. The Africa we want to see by 2030. And so we first discussed what are the challenges we are facing, okay? What have been, what are the initiatives that have been carried out to solve these challenges and what will Homla do? And so we came up with African Vision Map for 2030. It's a beautiful one. Okay. Yeah, can you tell a bit more about that? So what, we, what we're looking at is what kind of Africa are we going to see by 2030? And who are the people that will make this happen? So we're looking at Africa that has, uh, that is sustainable, that is prosperous, Africa that is uh, beautiful, that have uh, good leadership, okay, good governance. And then Africa that is run by young Africans, dynamic young Africans. Okay, so these are, and then Africa that trades with itself. So these are the kind of vision that we were able to initiate within the African Vision Map. And this is the first time on the continent that actually young people who were not sponsored by any major organization, young Africans who were not sponsored by a major institute, who first time came together to, to initiate a vision, a local vision, okay? And a vision that they can own and they can run with. This is not a, an African Vision Map that was initiated by World Bank or IMF or by United Nations or any other group. 
it was done by grassroots young Africans. And you can believe that if these young people can come together to say enough is enough, we want to take our destiny in our hands, you can be assured that they will do everything possible to want to push this vision to reality. Yeah, I'm sure. The beautiful thing of this idea is exactly that what you pointed out, that African trying to do a better Africa is not somebody from the outside. So you are you are coming from what you experience, and that's what makes um, this whole idea really beautiful. Lawrence, um, like I said, I really hope that it works, and I will try to spread the idea as much as I can. You are a Mandela Washington Fellow, and you have been an Ashoka Fellow since 2015. You are also the founder of Springboard, a network of cocoa, plantain, and rice smallholder farmers in Nigeria. What is Springboard exactly about? All right, thank you, Yampia. Springboard is a network of, or rather is a cooperative of sustainable farmers in Nigeria. Right now, we are we have over we have close to three thousand five hundred farmers within our network. So our farmers grow uh, cacao, plantain, and then we have diversification crops: rice, beans, corn uh, for these farmers. So the main goal of uh, Springboard is to actually uh, help farmers to improve scale and quality of their product and help them to increase uh, profit and of course also give a voice to these farmers. So that's uh, what we're doing. And since two thousand and eight, we've been working. Currently, we, we are working with about 3,500 farmers in 23 communities in Nigeria. And so our main vision is to see uh, in Nigeria that has small-scale farmers who are prosperous and can make sustainable and comfortable living. And so we empower these farmers through a cooperative movement that help, helps them to capture most of the value chain. And then that also helps them to grow much more organic food, sell more, and then sell for more. Nice. Speaking of sustainability, you have created a sustainable method to feed Nigeria's increasing population with farm crops that do not rely on toxic chemicals, pesticides, synthetic fertilizers, genetically modified seeds or practices that degrade soil, water or other natural resources. How does this method work? Well, well it actually works, but it takes um, a lot of energy and uh, resources. So what we are trying to achieve here is We want to go back to the to the roots, to the root of agriculture, to the African roots of agriculture on the continent and in Nigeria. In those years, our, our forefathers they will grow their food without any uh, any form of uh, pesticide. Yeah, yeah and, it, and they were very healthy and they lived very long. They would always become very old before they pass away. But now people don't no longer live long, okay, because we take so much poison into our system, into our body, okay, due to the food that we eat. And then apart from that, we're also destroying the ecosystem with the use of pesticides and then and then chemicals and all these toxic uh, materials. So we are destroying the ecosystem. The climate has really changed now. And this is because of the inappropriate uh, farming practices of millions of farmers across the continent and across the world. So Springboard wanted to do something that is unique. We are not happy with the way uh, our nature is turning its back on us. We're not happy with the way nature is being treated all over the world. And farmer, farmers have huge responsibility to play in helping to build good climate and good weather conditions. So that's why we said, let's Springboard be part of this new movement of a new generation of farmers who are going to help to restructure food production on the, on, in the world and on the continent. So. We decided that uh, we're going to train farmers on the use of natural or agroforestry practices, okay, 
and then reduction and then eventually a full stop in the use of um, pesticide and then inorganic material. So that's what we're doing. And then we're happy that it's uh, working, though it's not easy, especially here in Nigeria. People are not educated about organic food. And so if you tell them uh, you are selling organic food, they will ask you, what is the benefit for me if, if you are selling organic food and it's more expensive than the one that is in organic? And you can't even tell the difference, okay? Because if you bring organic food, it's maybe organic uh, orange, for example, it, it looks it may look smaller than inorganic. Organic, inorganic might be bigger food and organic might be smaller. You know, you use all this chemical fertilizer to grow uh, inorganic food and then they become very robust and fat. And so people tell you, I want the big one, I want the big banana uh, that is so fat, I want the big chicken. <laughs> and you don't know you have, the chicken has been fed with poison. So inorganic chicken is natural. Okay, so growth should be natural. That's the way we see it in agriculture. It should be natural. Okay, so that's what we're doing at Springboard, ensuring that uh, we serve the market with healthy, highly nutritious, healthy food products, and then we safeguard the environment, help our farmers, give them education, help empower them so that they can be part of rebuilding the ecosystem and making it sustainable for everybody. Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. Lawrence, dear listeners, Lawrence is reversing the trend of indiscriminate use of chemicals to grow food crops for human consumption by demonstrating alternative and healthier ways of agriculture. So, Lawrence, if I am a farmer in Nigeria, what should I do to become a more, let's say, sustainable farmer? What are my options? So, uh, if, you're a farmer, if you were a farmer in Nigeria, I would just ask you to join Springboard Cooperative. So, with <laughs> Springboard Cooperative, <laughs> so what we do is we, it's beyond uh, training you to, to grow organic food or food in a sustainable manner. We also help you to become prosperous. Okay. The average farmer in Nigeria earns between $300 and $500 annually. And that's ridiculous. That is, that is like uh, real poverty. Okay, so we help our farmers to get to the level of $1,500 annually. That's our goal, so that you can take care of your children, you can scale your farm or expand your farm business, and then you can take care of your health as well. So uh, our cooperative recruit and develop farmers according to a term that we call disempowered to empowered model, the D2E model that we have initiated. So farmer groups, uh, you join our cooperative and then uh, we look for farmers who are disempowered. And if you look at small-scale farmers, almost all of them are disempowered. So they join our cooperative. And then within their community, at their community level, they join the uh, farmer groups. They are usually between 25 to 35 farmers. And then after we have recruited you, you go for training. We train you at the community level. We use the farmer-to-farmer model training method. So uh, we train you in best practices, organic farming, and management of cooperatives. And then at, uh, you move up. We give you further support, certification, pre-financing. Uh, we help you get insurance. You have access to our extension officers. And then you can reach us at any time on our phone lines if you have problems of your farm. And then we also buy back all the farmer's produce. Okay. The, our main crops are plantain and cacao. So the cacao, uh, the plantain, we buy everything. Uh, all the plantain our farmers grow. The plantain is the big banana in Nigeria. So we add value to the plantain we turn to plantain chips that is widely distributed in Nigeria and in other countries on the continent. And so we buy back 100% quality produce at fair price. So we give fair price to our farmers. And then with the cacao, we uptake as well. And then we supply to uh, major exporters who can guarantee premium price for our farmers. 
So with this, our farmers are able to make significant um, margin and also receive um, fair trade premiums. So we, we also go further to give one voice to our farmers. Farmers are very important in any community, in any nation. In fact, farmers home, without farmers, there is no nation, there is no community. Okay, so farmers are very important, but unfortunately, they lack voice because they are not organized as business partners. So we have, uh, with the cooperative, we are organizing all these farmers within systems and so that they can have a voice. They can also have a voice at the policy level. Mm. Okay, when it's very unfortunate when politicians are making policies that affect farmers, farmers are not carried along. Farmers are not even there. Okay, so you stay at the parliament and then you make policies, you have policies that affect the lives of farmers without their own contribution. So we want farmers to get to that level where any policy that has to be made about agriculture, farmers must have their own input. So, but if farmers are not organized as business partners, if they are scattered, they don't have that voice. But when they operate together as cooperatives and have, they can have one voice, government can res- respect them. And then any group, any international organization can also respect them because they have a say. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really important to to have the chance to be part of the decision making is is really important. It is it is also known that in the countryside you find a so called rural urban drift. I mean, we are talking about rural urban migration, mm. the mm. movement of people from the countryside to the city. Yeah, how does Springboard deal with it? That's a very good question. Yeah, if you look at um, currently in Nigeria, there was a report that was uh, released I think four years ago, um, that. Almost 1,000 rural youth migrate to the major cities every day alone, every day, okay, in search of economic opportunities outside farming. And it's quite uh, unfortunate. And now with the impact of COVID, a lot of people are also running back from the cities back to the rural communities. So I think uh, <laughs> that's also because the cities are on lockdown and people are, there are no jobs. People are looking for jobs and then they feel... Uh, maybe they can find solace when they go back to the rural communities. But migration has been a big thing, especially young people moving from the rural communities to the city to search uh, for economic opportunities. And when they get to those cities, there are no jobs. Okay, And these young people eventually end up in um, maybe underemployment or criminal uh, activities. And the reason, the main reason why these young people leave uh, rural communities is not because there are no schools. Uh, but because they want economic opportunity, but they don't see economic op- economic opportunities in farming, because the way farming has been run, especially in Nigeria, in the, since the 60s, agriculture used to be the mainstay thing in our economy. But from the 60s, it, it has been neglected uh, in Nigeria since we discover uh, oil. So if if I give you some case studies, we used to have what we called Kano granite pyramids in those days mm-hmm. in the 60s. Nigeria used to be the largest exporter of shelled granite with 47 global market share. So we're doing over 500,000 tons in the 1960s of granite. We're exporting good granite. Okay. But if you look at today, Nigeria has zero granite export. That's harsh. From the 80s. Yes. And then if you look at cacao as well, we used to be the world's second largest producer. We were providing 80%, about 450,000 tons every year to global market. Today, Nigeria is now sixth position. <laughs> we have not, we, are, we understand, sixth position. So from about 500,000 tons, we dropped to about 200,000 tons because we discovered oil and government neglected oil. 
tomato. Nigeria used to uh, contribute 65% of Africans' tomato. Today, Nigeria's, Nigeria is uh, the largest importer of tomato paste in the world. You can imagine that we used to produce 65% of tomatoes in the 60s in Africa. Palm oil, we used to have uh, about 43% uh, global share in the market. Yeah. Today, we, are, we contribute about 2.9% share. You can imagine the difference. And Nigeria currently spends more than $5 million every day for rice importation. So, agriculture, because governments uh, discovered oil, government stopped, uh, agriculture stopped being a priority for the Nigerian government. Productivity stalled, political accountability was very low, and then because decades of neglect created an obsolete, uh, kind of obsolete uh, farming system, and then uh, oil profits are not invested in the agri sector. So everybody was now running to take part in the uh, national cake sharing. So young people in rural communities no longer see agriculture as sexy or viable or cool career path for them. So that is the main reason why a lot of young people prefer to migrate to the cities so that they can, uh, of course, take part in further economic uh, opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Lawrence, one day you decided to gain knowledge on effective organic farming and help Nigerians adopt this new method. Why was for you so important to change to organic farming in Nigeria? What happened? Every day I would see on news, uh, newspaper and then on TV, people are dying of um, cancer and then terminal diseases. And I was wondering... My parents would tell me this kind of illnesses and diseases were not here when their fathers were here. Okay, they never heard about cancer until recently. They never heard of uh, all this leukemia and all these big uh, terminal diseases. Okay, so we I read a report that says it's due to the food that we are consuming. They are full of the toxics and pesticides and herbicides in our system. So I felt that, of course, if the food we are eating gives health to us. And so the kind of food that you eat really means really matters a lot. So that's why I felt going at organic will help Nigerians to be healthy. Nigerians are hardworking people. They need to be healthy. Nigerians need to live, live long. They need to take care of their kids and children. They need to help build a new economy, help to build a vibrant nation. And, and so that's why food is a major item in helping us to live healthy and to live long. So Nigerians deserve the best food. That's why giving them organic food is uh, means so, means a lot for us and for Nigerians. Yeah, I see. Springboard also established the Farm to School Africa initiative. I think I know this concept from Cuba um, because there was there was a time where we had to go to the farm school and spend at least three years combining agricultural work with studies to do it like in a pretty young age. What makes farm schools so important? So, so farm to school is not a local idea. It's an international idea that we brought uh, to Nigeria. So the idea is to work with high schools and secondary schools to build school farms, organic school farms, where children can learn uh, healthy food production, okay, how to produce uh, healthy food, organic food. And then, but main, mainly, we want them to begin to develop interest in agriculture so that they can take that as, as career and help to keep that interest as many years as possible. A report was done across our tertiary institutions in Nigeria. Uh, they wanted to know uh, how many uh, undergraduates actually chose to study agriculture. Okay? As a, and then, so we discovered that more than 80% of them did, did not choose to study agriculture. They were being forced, okay, <laughs> to study agriculture. So, so people are not 
studying agriculture at the agricultural institutions because they have they have passion for it or because they want to develop career uh, in that field. No, they are studying it because they were forced. They were that's like a last resort for for them. They didn't give them maybe they wanted to study medicine or law or biochemistry or anything. They didn't they didn't meet the cut of man and then they asked them to go and study agriculture. So agriculture for, in even agricultural institution it's like a last resort for students who are not brilliant and it should not be so. Yeah. So we felt that. Okay, we can help to begin to build interest in young people from secondary school. That's from high school. So that before they get to the level of decide, deciding to choose a career for themselves, they can have that interest in agriculture. And so we are promoting innovative agriculture to them. And then, of course, it's been very successful. More than 80% of our students come back to tell us that I would like to study agriculture. Oh, and nice. then they tell us new things that we've not heard. That, okay, is there a way we can... Uh, begin to look at agriculture as green energy and all of that. And this is fantastic. And we thought, of course, you can do that. And so I think it's something. So this is just a way of helping to build the future of uh, farmers or a new generation of uh, Nigerian farmers. That's a really good point. So is there a connection between Springboard to the idea you have with the One Million Leaders Africa program we talked about in the beginning? Yeah, there's a connection. So if you look at Omla, Omla is trying to raise leaders for Africa, then who will help to change the, that, that trajectory of this continent. And if you look at Springboard, Springboard is trying to also help to solve a problem that also has to do with food security and unemployment, okay, rural urban migration and the like. So Springboard is also trying to raise leaders in the field of agriculture, okay? So, but all of these come together because of a change that happened in my life in 2007, in 2006. I, I, I actually studied business management in the university. And I remember it was 2003, I gained uh, admission to study in the university. And my whole idea was to uh, actually graduate from the university and then get a very a well-paid job <laughs> that will help me get up for, <laughs> for my family. So I went with that energy and then... In my first year in the university, my results were very good. Second year, the results was very good. But third year, something happened. And I remember it was a, a Friday. And I can't forget that day, November 17, 2006, when my life changed. When the idea of um, making money working in the oil and gas or, uh, or bank uh, changed. And this change was uh, actually uh, instigated or triggered by the reports I read in the newspaper about the plight of over... 30 million employed Nigerian uh, youth. Okay, so uh, the, the the question was raised at, by the author of the article, and the author was uh, the then Minister of Education uh, at that time in 2006. And then she she raised a question that uh, what may happen to Nigeria between 2020 and 2030 if nothing was done to solve the situation. So it was written that by that period, Nigeria, my dear country, would have. Uh, over 20 million highly skilled, uh, not uh, lawyers, not farmers, not doctors, not engineers, not uh, entrepreneurs, but highly skilled criminals that could devour the entire country. So I felt really sad and concerned after reading that report. And immediately I, I actually felt uh, maybe someday I might become a victim of what this report says. Imagine uh, me working in the oil and gas, and then I have a very good car, I have a family, and I'm driving through the street of Nigeria that has over 20 million highly skilled criminals. So what becomes of my life? 
my car could be snatched. Yeah. I could, you understand? Anything could happen mm. in the midst of criminal. So you are not successful. That's what came to me then. If you are driving in the midst of highly skilled criminals, you can only be successful if you can help to channel the energy of these would-be criminals to become entrepreneurs. Okay, so that's my perspective changed. And then my perspective shifted from actually living for myself to finding a way to help solve the, uh, to help the situation and also become self-employed in the process. So after graduating from uh, the university in 2007, I returned to my hometown, Akure. And Akure is a very low uh, income community in southwest of Nigeria. And that's where I am now. That's where the headquarters of Springboard and of Omla is located. <laughs> so it was actually a huge shock for my parents, relatives and friends to see me uh, returning to my home. And then because they expected that I would uh, remain in the city. I went to school in Lagos. It's the biggest city. And then where you can get jobs. So uh, they expected me to remain the, in that city and get a good job. So, and also thinking of the investment they, my parents had on me, they felt disappointed. They were really, 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 really disappointed that I should please consider going back to get a job in Lagos or any other uh, city. But I told them that, Dad, Mom, please, I appeal to them that, please, I would like to do something different uh, with my life by empowering uh, unemployed young people. Um, are they happy now? My parents were not. Now, now they are happy, but at that time, they were <laughs> not happy. They felt uh, really... So because they were frustrated, I went back to Lagos. I got a job, a very good job. I was given a car, I was given a house, but I didn't last on the job. I, the, one night, I packed my things and I came back. And the interesting thing is that in Nigeria, or have any maybe some communities here, you when you're not following the path that your parents has created for you, because your parents, they are the elderly ones, they will, they will know which path you should follow that will lead to success. So when you're not following that path, they will think you are uh, you are being bewitched, that there's, oh, <laughs> that there's a witch <laughs> or a wizard that is trying to reorchestrate your destiny and do not want you to become successful. So people in Nigeria are suspicious when things are not going as expected. So they believe that uh, there's a spiritual force that can influence their own destiny. But I didn't stay long in Lagos. I came back because that dream of over 20 million highly skilled criminals kept coming back to me. And I felt that uh, destiny was calling me to actually do something about it. So I went back to Akure. I didn't know what to do, where and how could I start. I kept asking myself. I was jobless as a, young, a graduate. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. <laughs> who's not, of course, if you, if you are staying in Akure as a graduate, because most of all my friends, that we went to, to Lagos to study together from Akure, all stayed back in the cities. I came back, they were laughing at me. What are you going to do in Akure? But I didn't know I was jobless. I wanted to do something that would actually give jobs to unemployed young people in my town. Then I wanted to have also have a meaningful occupation for myself. So I tried several things that failed. For example, I started writing books and selling books to schools. I'll give some books to young, some young people in my church to sell. But it was not really effective. I think it, it it was not helping to transform these young people into a kind some kind of a, it was not helping them to build entrepreneurial uh, skills. So, but um, I didn't want to give up. So in late 2008, I had an idea to start a farm where uh, we would cultivate. And uh, my parents are farmers, so I remember when they were taking us, myself and my siblings, to the farm when we were young. And then it was I loved that opportunity. So I remember in 2008 then. That idea came back to me that, wow, I could actually use this to 
uh, employ young people and then to train them. So uh, I shared the idea with some young people in my church and five of them showed interest and they invited nine of them. And so uh, one of a farmer in town uh, who was interested in the idea lent us uh, seven plots of farmland to at free cost. So we named the project that time the Youth Farm Project. That was the initial uh, name for Springboard. So it was a Youth Farm Project. So every Friday and Saturday, I would take these young people to the farm. We, we began to cultivate the land by planting corn, maize. Okay, and in the process, I realized that there's a relationship between um, uh, entrepreneurship and farming. So, but that's a long story now. So. Then from corn, we'll, we'll, by the time we are selling, we'll sell the corn. Then I'll share the money amongst these young people. And then I will return part of the money into the project. Gradually, uh, we were growing. In 2010, we introduced the uh, uh, plantain cultivation. This That's the local banana in Nigeria. Yeah. So, very good one too. So in 2012, I think before 2000, between 2010 and 2012, a newspaper, one or two newspapers came to write about write, write an article about the project. And gradually the story began to spread. Okay. And so linking this with Omla, I think um, uh, my passion to help raise entrepreneurs and leaders for Nigeria and Africa attracted opportunities that bettered Omla today. And so Omla and Springboard, I think they, are, they have the same vision to help empower African youth. So the tools may be different. The tools that Omla will use could maybe different from the two that Springboard yes, uses. Yes, of course. Yeah. But Omla is, Omla is bringing on board bigger opportunity to pursue this vision on a very large scale. And Springboard is just localizing it to Nigeria environment. But Omla is really doing it on, on the continent. So that's the relationship between Omla and then... Um, and springboard. The idea uh, with Omla, you, you, you say it like, really nicely now, is to explore ways African youth can collaborate to take sustainable action towards transforming the continent. Are there some concrete ideas already? Yes, of course, there are concrete ideas. We are looking at partner with a number of organizations, for example, uh, African Leadership University, and then we're also looking at a partner with an, an institute in India called Kantari. Kantari is a social entrepreneurship institute that develops entrepreneurs across the world, and they have uh, most of their graduates in Africa. So we are looking at maybe Kantari hosting our boot camp, training the fellows, or African Leadership University training the fellow. Kantari has a very vibrant and exciting curriculum that they use currently. So... And that's, you say, I don't think we need anything outside of that, okay? But currently, Omla is also building a curriculum, <laughs> yes. Because, believe me, the Kantari curriculum has, is all-encompassing. It has everything that can transform. It's Kantari curriculum transformed my life, okay, in 2012. So it can transform any young people on the continent, especially if you are, if you are passionate uh, about making a change happen in your community and you need the required tools. Kantari is the best place. So we are thinking if uh, we should take our fellows to Kantari and then uh, they catch that fire, Kantari fire, and then they come back to the continent and begin to, to jump just the way I'm jumping today. And many other Kantari graduates are jumping in their communities today. So the basic idea now is do the uh, with the Omla Fellowship Program, train the fellows, and then they go back to their communities and start their own small project and then use their own project to also influence train stars and starlets. And then uh, we make change uh, happen. Sounds like a really good idea. That's a good point. What expectations do you have from Omla? 
Well, the, the main expectation is, um, it's not really an expectation, but a future that I want to see for Africa. I want to see a time where Africa is happy. Not Africans, but Africa. Africa, the mother Africa is happy. Because currently Africa is not happy. Africa is sad. Africa is sad, very sad. And Africa is telling Africans that, hey guys, you can make me happy. You can do much more than this. You can become prosperous. You can become great. You can become green again. You can you can stand up and roar. You are a lion. You can stand up and roar. So that's the kind of destiny we want to achieve. That's the that's, that, that's the place we want to get to. So Africa is nudging Africans. Africa is patting us on the shoulder and telling us, please rise up and run. Rise up and move. Rise up and act. You can become green. You can roar like an African lion. So this is what Africa is telling us. And I don't want to disappoint this nudging. Okay? I'm not going to be the one to transform Africa, but I want to be part of those that will push for the transformation of this continent. Young Africans are the ones that will change this continent. We have the energy, we have the skills, we have the way without, we have, we just need the tools. Okay? And that's what Omla is about to give. Thanks, Lawrence. I think this is a really great plan. Thank you. So today we're talking about two projects. Lauren Afere is pursuing. The major goal of Springboard are to support small-scale farmers to grow themselves out of poverty and hunger, as well as boosting global food security. Since 2008, Springboard has been working with rural farmers, women and youth, to help turn their farms into profitable and sustainable enterprises in over 20 communities in Nigeria. Lawrence and his team are always looking for donations, ideas and suggestions that will help them to improve the result of their work. In case you have any ideas, suggestions, or if you have any questions, do not hesitate to contact them at springboardening.com. Omla, on the other hand, is trying to save Africa's future and ensure there will be enough brains in charge to cope with the challenges to come. Please make yourself an idea, visit, support and share it at onemillionleadersafrica.org. Next week, in the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, I'm going to talk with Kantari alumni Tiffany Brar, an accessibility trainer, social activist, and a motivational speaker. She started a mobile blind school where she traveled across Kerala in search of blind people with the aim of transforming them from liabilities to assets. You'll find the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Tell us about your frontline hero. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. And also have a look at our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I say goodbye today. and really hope you join us and get to spend a bit of your time with us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Thank you.